the state of the dead. Now, maybe this isn't an exciting subject for you. Um, There's lots of reasons why that might be. It's kind of a morbid subject by definition, but it also has touched our lives. Every one of us has been touched by this subject quite a bit. And so I don't want to be clinical about this. I want to do what the Bible does in responding to death, and it is comforting. So let's explore the Bible a little bit together. In 2010, Tyndale House Publishing published this book, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven. The next year, they turned it into a a video, a movie. And uh, the story goes, Alex uh, and his dad, Kevin Malarkey, they were in an accident, and Alex was in a, a really bad condition. I know some of you are laughing at their last name. We'll get to that in a minute. (laughs) Alex is in a bad condition. He had injury to his head. He was injured in his spine. He became quadriplegic. He went through surgery after surgery. And uh, in the process, he began telling his dad and his mom some stories about going to heaven, about having out-of-body experiences. And so Kevin, through kind of these interviews with Alex, ends up writing this book And you may know how this story goes because it's been around for a few years, but I'll just tell you in case you don't. After being published in 2010, a million of these books were sold. The TV drama was produced. And then in 2011, the then 11-year-old Alex uh, wrote a little blog post. Uh, I think his mom had a blog or something. And he wrote something and and he denied this, uh, this story. He said he made it all up. In 2012, the book was still selling a lot, and his mom, uh, she wrote again on this blog saying her family does not agree with the book, that it does not represent their views about the world. And in 2015, Alex finally wrote an open letter um, trying to get it to all the publishers and all the bookstores he could saying this, and I'll I'll read just the first part of um, of his letter. Please forgive me for the brevity, but because of my limitations, I have to keep this short. I did not die. I did not go to heaven. I said I went to heaven because I thought it would get me attention. When I made the claims that I did, I had never read the Bible. People have profited from lies and continue to. They should read the Bible, which is enough. The Bible is the only source of truth. What happens when you die? That's a question that we've been asking ever since the Garden of Eden, when God uh, told Adam and Eve that if they eat the fruit, they will surely die. What does it mean? What actually is going on? Uh, There are three main ideas in our world. There's a lot of little variations of these, but these are the three main ideas. The first idea is that you turn into compost, you stay in the ground forever. That would be the atheist point of view. Uh, The second would be that your soul goes up or down, heaven or hell. And the third would be that you come back again and again in some never-ending cycle, um, or maybe you believe the cycle ends at some point, but you, you come back again and again. These prevailing ideas of death and the afterlife find their origins in Greek mythology. Uh, they, they have philosophy, uh, philosophers behind them, and then, of course, scientific assumptions are part of that story. Um, but none of them can be found in the Bible. 
I'm proud of Alex Malarkey for pointing us in the direction of God's Word, saying that that's the place that we can find truth. And I want to read the last part of his letter to you. He says, the Bible is the only source of truth. Anything written by man cannot be infallible. It is only through repentance of your sins and a belief in Jesus as a son of God who died for your sins that you can learn of heaven outside of what is written in the Bible, meaning when you're actually there with Jesus, not by reading a work of man. I want the whole world to know that the Bible is sufficient. Those who market these materials must be called to repent and hold the Bible as enough. In Christ, Alex Malarkey. There's uh, several other books that have been published recently. Another one actually published um, right there in 2010 by a different publisher um, about these heaven experiences. And they've been called to, um, under critical observation by the Christian church uh, at large, not just me, but by uh, a lot of people as, um, and they've, they've called it heaven tourism and said that they're, they're profiting. The, the goal is to profit off of these stories and people's interest in it. But I need to ask you a question. Is what you believe about death biblical? Or is it a bunch of malarkey? I told you the name would come back. Is it biblical or is it just something somebody said? Now, if you're hearing this subject discussed for the first time and what I'm about to say ends up being new to you or shocking to you, then please don't just um, walk out the door and say, I disagree with that guy. Um, Catch me afterwards and let's spend some time together. Let's study about it. And if this is something that that you've heard many times before, um, please don't just say, oh, I know what he's about to say and close your eyes. There's something here about the character of God that's worth us spending time again and again reviewing. Before we look at any Bible verses about death and figure out the theology or doctrine about death, I want to recognize something that the Bible recognizes. Death is not theoretical and it is not just theological. Death is a very real experience in every one of our lives. We either have already or will soon experience the loss of a loved one or our own end-of-life journey. And the Bible isn't just here to tell us what happens when you die. The Bible is here to give us hope and to give us comfort. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 to 55. The Bible says, when the perishable puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? How is death swallowed up in victory? How is that sting from death taken away? That's the question that we need to answer today. And it's... The options, obviously, the staying in the ground forever, that's, there's no way that that can take away the, the sting of death. But, but the answers that are possible include this cycle of uh, death and rebirth and death and rebirth. Um, some even say that uh, when you're reborn, you might come back as a cow, um, which presents some interesting problems for those who aren't vegetarians. Um, but, but is it this cycle of death and rebirth, death and rebirth? Or is it the up and down, the heaven and hell scenario? Or is there more to the story or a completely different story that the Bible tells about this subject? The first question that we have to answer is this question. 
What makes our bodies, our humanness? Do we have a soul or are we a soul? I think that's an important question because the subject of the soul is, a, well, it's something that a lot of people have um, ideas about that aren't based in the Bible. So let's look at the Bible. And like a lot of these things, it seems like every single sermon I've preached for the last, well, however many weeks that it's been this year, has come back to the Garden of Eden. So we're going to come back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to explore the answer to this question. Do we have a soul or are we a soul? Genesis 2, 7 says, the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man, what's the next word? Became a living creature. That's in the English standard version. If you have the King James version or the new King James, it'll say man became a living soul. Now, there's no problem with that particular statement. The, uh, no matter how you say it, creature, soul, you could even say person in there if you wanted to, because the word that is used for um, soul or creature is nefesh. Now, before we go into any Hebrew or whatever, and I know some of you are like, we don't need to hear about Hebrew. Just think about that for a second. Words matter. So we want to understand the words. But before we get into the Hebrew and understanding the words, look at this formula. In Genesis 2, we have dirt plus breath equals soul or person or creature, right? Now, that that, uh, Hebrew word nefesh, it can be translated as life or person or creature or soul. And uh, in this context, the Bible makes it clear man became a living soul, a living person, a living creature, and uh, that, that kind of flies in the face of our understanding, the modern definition of what a soul is. Um, God formed man from dust, breathed his breath of life. Man became this person. He didn't have a person. He didn't have a creature inside of him, right? He became a person. He became a creature. He became a soul. Um, but there's... There's a problem, another problem that happens when we put our modern definition of soul into the Bible and try to make the Bible um, mean what we often think it means. The Bible teaches that even the animals are a creature or a soul, a nefesh. Uh, Look at Genesis 1.24 and you'll see that. For what happens, oops, I didn't have it up on the screen. It says this, Let the earth bring forth uh, living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the same word, living creatures, is there in Genesis 124 as is in Genesis 2-7 describing humans. So if we put the modern definition of soul, um, some sentient conscious entity spiritual thing inside of us um, that we have, then then, uh, animals have a soul too. Some believe that. Um, God, God spoke, and animals became a living creature. God formed man and breathed into his, his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. I once heard a Christian speaker talk about the subject of what makes us human, and he says that we're a lot like a lamp with a lampshade. Our body, the muscle, the bone, the you know, skin, all that, our bodies are like the lampshade. And then inside, there's a light bulb, something of a different substance. And that light bulb is like our soul. 
And the lampshade uh, of our body, it'll corrupt and degrade and, and die eventually. But the, the light bulb inside has, has like a spark of God in it, and so it never dies. Now, that's, that's his teaching. The only question he suggested is, um, where will you go when you die, up or down? But the Bible never uses a lampshade illustration to help us understand what we're made of. It does tell us what happens when we die, though. And it interestingly says that the exact same thing happens to humans as happens to animals. So let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We found that animals and people are made of the same stuff in Genesis 1 and 2. And now we're going to look at what happens when we die in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon, who wrote this, said, For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from dust, and to dust all return. Everyone, even animals, goes to the same place. Where do they go? According to Ecclesiastes, they go to dust. That's the direction that we head. Now, he asks a question, Solomon does. He says, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? Who knows, he asks. Does somebody know the answer to that question? Can science answer that question? No, no, science can't answer that question. So the, the problem with, the, with this is that um, science can't observe that process. We can only go by firsthand accounts, which in many cases are malarkey. But let's, let's let Solomon do his own answering. What is the answer to his question? Who knows? Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The very first verse, he begins kind of a a rant, you might say, about the subject of death. He says, uh, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come. What are the evil days? Well, he goes on to describe them. He says, these are days in which you say, I have no pleasure in them. And he describes things like um, your eyes growing dim, your hearing getting soft. He says that, that you stop hearing pounding. <laughs> he says that you start to, to, to bend over and shake. And does this sound like an end-of-life journey to you? It's not easy getting old, from what I'm told. And, and the end result of that, he uses these interesting idioms that we don't really understand today. Things like, the silver cord is snapped, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, and the wheel is broken at the cistern. But let me just make it really clear. You die. That's what happens after the evil days, the days that you don't like and don't desire, there's death. So what happens when you die, he says. Um, or he, he's answering the question, I should say. And he says in verse 7, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That's what happens when you die. Who knows if the spirit of man goes up and the spirit of animals goes down? Well, he answers right there. Dust returns to the earth, but the spirit returns to God. So we have this formula. In Genesis, we have dust plus breath equals person or soul. Man became a living soul. And then in Ecclesiastes, we have this opposite. Person or soul minus spirit or breath 
equals dust. And I, I mentioned this breath thing. Even though he said spirit, I said breath. And the reason is because the word that he used for, for uh, spirit is a word called ruach. And ruach means breath, or it can be translated as breath, or it can be translated as spirit, or even as life. But let me ask you, is this breath, is this spirit that returns to God some conscious, sentient thing that, that is carried up to God? Um, the, the, the outside shell, the lampshade is left in the ground, but the light bulb goes to God? Is that, is that what he's describing? And the answer is no. Remember, Solomon is clear in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that the same thing happens to animals as happens to humans. So if the breath or the spirit of all creatures goes back to God, wouldn't that mean that every single person and every single animal would be saved and would be in heaven praising God? That would make sense if you follow Ecclesiastes' reasoning. Um, But this, uh, this word for breath, ruach, Um, it's not intended to be a sentient thing. There's no idea of that in the Bible. And in fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, Solomon himself says, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And if forever and forever, they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. The dead don't know anything. They don't have a reward. They don't have a punishment. They don't have love. They don't have hate. But you might find yourself clinging to an idea that they don't have any more share in the things that are done under the sun because they're no longer under the sun. They're in heaven, right? Keep in mind, they don't have any memory. (laughs) They they don't have um, any knowledge, right? So it doesn't make sense that Solomon would be saying that, but let's just make sure we go to other places in the Bible and see if the other places in the Bible would suggest that in heaven, uh, that that when you die, the breath that goes back to God has some kind of consciousness. Psalm 115, 17 makes it clear, the dead do not praise the Lord. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. That word is I think significant. When we look at death, the Bible says that it's silent. And then in Psalm 146, 4, when his breath departs, where does his breath go? He returns to earth. The person returns to earth, it says. And on that very day, his plans perish. So the formula is dust plus breath equals living person. And if you do it backwards, Living person minus breath equals dust. Or you might say living person minus breath equals dead person. That's the same idea. You have a living soul or you have a dead soul. There's no praising the Lord in heaven in death. There's no knowledge of anything that happens on earth. No more plans, no more ideas. But the Bible... What does it say when when people die? Doesn't it talk about them going to hell when they die? Isn't that somewhere in the Bible? Now, the the subject of hell is not what we're talking about today, so I can't really get into it. Um, But I want to say this. We get our modern understanding of hell from the Greek mythology of Hades. And, And Hades is some god, according to Greek mythology, that is in charge over some place 
uh, where, where people are tormented after death. Now, that doesn't sound like a nice theory, and you won't find it in the Bible. It is in Greek mythology. So let's not take our own, our, our cultural understandings of hell and try to put them on top of the Bible and assume the Bible is saying those things. In the Bible, we read that people, when they die, are in the grave. In the Old Testament, the word for grave is sheol. And when you find that word in the New Testament, uh, let me say that differently. When the Old Testament was translated into Greek, they used the word, the, the Greek word Hades, which sounds a lot like the Greek myth, to translate the word sheol. But you know what sheol means in Hebrew? It just means a grave. It has no connotation of a place of torment, and there's no God called Hades that's in charge of the torment in Sheol. That's just not in Hebrew thinking. And so they used a Greek word to to translate a Hebrew word named Sheol simply to mean the grave. So where do people go when they die? They go to the grave. And, And what's happening in the grave? 36 times in the Old Testament, we find this statement 1 Kings 2.10 says, Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. He died. He slept and was buried. In 1 Kings 11.43, Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father, and Rehoboam his son reigned in his place. And in case you think that it's only the righteous who go to sleep in the grave, let's just be clear. In 1 Kings 16.25, Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did more evil than all who were before him. And in verse 28, Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his place. 36 times they slept with their fathers and were buried. Now, does the New Testament have something to say about this? Yes. In fact, this very idea of David sleeping with his fathers is brought up in Acts chapter 2, verse 29, where Peter says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence, with what? With confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and went to heaven. It doesn't say that, does it? He died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. He slept with his fathers, and he's right there still. That's what Peter is saying in this statement. Peter can point, literally point to the bones of David and say with confidence, he's right there in the tomb. So where do we go when we die? We go to sleep in the tomb. I'm being really factual about this, and I recognize that we're just looking at a doctrine, but let's, let's turn our focus to why the Bible says that we sleep when we die, because there's something else that happens after death, and, and we need to understand it. Is it this cycle of death and rebirth? Is it forever in the grave, or is it up or down, heaven or hell? In Matthew 9, Jesus went to the house of a guy named Jairus. Jairus' daughter was sick, and on the way, his daughter died. And so when Jesus came to the house, they were already starting the mourning process, and they were wailing. And Jesus said in Matthew 9, 25, um, in 24, he told them to go away. said, she's sleeping. And, then in, and, and they laughed at him, right? But when they were put outside, he revealed why he said she was just sleeping. He says, when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Why is she just sleeping? Because sleep implies that you're going to wake up. 
In the Bible, death is defined as a sleep. And you're sleeping because there's a resurrection coming. Let's look at one example, another example in John chapter 11. In the story of John chapter 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus had died. He was sick. He died. Jesus delayed coming to him. Uh, and when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he, he just kind of stayed around doing his own thing. But when the time was right, Jesus ended up telling his disciples in John 11, verse 7. I didn't put that in there. But he says, let us go to Judea again. And then, and then he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, then he will recover. Well, Jesus wanted to be really clear. And so in verse 14, he says, Lazarus has died. He's fallen asleep. He's dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. And so they go. And when they get there, um, they, they met this mourning crowd, including his sisters, Mary and Martha. And in verse 23, Jesus said to one of the sisters, your brother will rise again. And she says, I know, Lord, that, the, that he'll rise again. And at the end which gives us an idea of where the, when the resurrection is. But then Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Death is asleep, not because there's some inherently alive thing in each of us, some eternal spark that exists apart from God. Death is asleep because Jesus has promised to raise us up again. Now, I just want to be clear, this resurrection is not just for some people. All people are raised up. Everybody, whether you believe in God or don't, whether you're uh, Buddhist or Hindu or Christian, everybody gets a resurrection. We could get into all kinds of interesting conversations about the subject of death and what happens after death and about the subject of hell especially and judgment, uh, but again, we don't have time for all of that. You, you could explore the ideas of Hades or Gehenna or Sheol in and, and lots of detail, but we're just going to leave all of that discussion and we're going to focus on this one idea, this certainty that God gives us. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. And in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of that sin is death. But then it adds the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. You remember back in the Garden of Eden, that Adam and Eve situation, they were cast out of the garden so they wouldn't eat of the tree of life and continue on living in sin. They don't have eternal life in and of themselves. It's a gift from God. And in John 3.16, the Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is the answer to death. I'm just going to say that again. I didn't get any amens. Jesus is the answer to death. He, he's the resurrection and the life. Jesus said in, in Revelation 1.17, Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death. That's the Jesus that we love and we serve. He has the keys. He can bring all of those who have died and were buried in the graves and who died trusting in him back to life. 
The Bible gives us hope in the resurrection. Not a false hope in some death and rebirth cycle that never ends. Not a false hope that, that when you die, you're up in heaven, or your, your, your loved one is up in heaven watching everything that you do, or down in hell being tormented for eternity in some disproportionate punishment for crime scenario. None of that is suggested in the Bible. The hope the Bible gives us is that our loved one who died is asleep and is waiting for the resurrection. This is the way that Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage or comfort one another with these words. We have something as Bible-believing Christians that nobody else has. We have true comfort because we know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But what about those who refuse to trust in Jesus? They're going to get a resurrection too? Yes, the Bible does say that there are two resurrections. John, in John 5, Jesus himself said it. Don't marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. These two resurrections exist. Paul said in Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed for man once to die and then comes judgment. Everyone dies, everyone sleeps, everyone gets a resurrection. Those who love God are raised at his second coming, and those who don't are raised in the judgment. The Bible doesn't teach that we go up or down when we die. It, doesn't, it teaches that we're sleeping until the resurrection. And the only question that we have to ask, it's not about whether we go up or down, but it's which resurrection are you going to be in? Ultimately, there will be a final death for sin. And this is the true nature of death. Not about what happens when we sleep in waiting for the final reward or punishment, but what happens when sin is completely done away with. And this, the answer to that is complete separation from the source of life. Death is separation from God. But the hope of all who fall asleep in Jesus is that that first death, the sleep death, will end when Jesus comes and raises us to life. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul said, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which means there's going to be more fruit. There's going to be more resurrected to everlasting life. Would you like to be in that resurrection? Stand with me now and sing our closing hymn, Christ the Lord is risen today. Number 166. Thank you. 